to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Toot. Welcome in. It's Album Nerds Podcast time. I'm Plug One. I got Plug Two and Plug Three here with me. <laughs> That's Andy and Don, and I'm Dude. Andy, how you doing, my man? Uh, are you saying I have hair plugs? Is that that allusion to? No, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk about what Plug One, Plug Two, and Plug Three is later in the show. All right. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Excited to uh, relive some glory days from my college years. Hi, everybody. Right. That, that, that was my college radio voice back back when I was on the, the air. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it was higher pitched and... and <laughs> you hit puberty in college, man? <laughs> I think I just didn't know what I was doing, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I'd hate to hear what I sounded like. Oh, man. I would love so to weird. hear what you sounded like. <laughs> yeah. Were you trying to sound like a radio guy and it just came out too high? <laughs> probably. Probably, yeah. I just got too excited. All right, so uh, we're the Album Nerds. We love talking about albums and the album format. We got three that we're talking about today. We'll be answering a question, spinning the wheel of musical destiny to find out what albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, it's all about the college radio classics. That's what I'm talking about! So in the period uh, from the, the late 1970s through the 80s and into the early 90s, college radio stations in North America often focused on music that wouldn't be played uh, on pop or mainstream rock commercial stations. They often featured genres. Uh, most of them were, were rock. So you, you would have, you know, some of your punk and your synth pop. But, you know, a lot of what later became known as alternative music. Um, so artists like U2, the Chili Peppers, um, REM really got their you know first exposure uh, in North America uh, on college radio. Eventually, you know, commercial radio uh, embraced this music uh, in, in the in the 1990s. Uh, so we're each going to be bringing to the table an album that probably got play on college radio back in the day. All right, yeah, let's talk about uh, our experience uh, with college radio. So for me personally, it was quite influential. I listened to. The local college station and was briefly a DJ at RIT in Rochester, New York. And also there was a good local independent music station, which was kind of like college radio called WBR, which is a ton. And that really was influential in my later high school and, and college days. So yeah, huge impact on me personally. What about you, Don? Most of the, you know, the music I, I liked, you know, when I was coming of age, you know, in the, in the late eighties would be found on, on college radio that, I mean, the problem was that there are a lot of colleges in my area, but the, the signal strength was, was not great, uh, for these stations. So, you know, I'd be desperately trying to, to tune in, you know, just so I could hear some of the, the music I like actually on the radio. But yeah, you know, college radio was a, you know, an important part of my life, uh, at that time. And that's how I got exposed to, uh, to, uh, you know, a lot of good music. I, I listened to college radio really only in my high school art classes. I was uh, an art sequence, which was kind of like a major, and I took tons of art classes, and I was this kind of top 40, straight-laced, kind of Ferris Bueller-looking dude in this class full of pink-haired weirdos, and they would play the... <laughs> play the college radio we'd all get to choose music at different times i heard all sorts of stuff i'd never heard before it w it didn't it, it impacted me in terms of knowing there was other stuff out there that later i was more open to but yeah so it was definitely 
a thing. I even referred to that kind of music as college music before alternative became the term. All right, well, let's crack into these college radio records. You choo choo choose me? Let's start things off with a band and an album that kind of blew me away the first time I heard it. Unlike anything else, talking about the Sisters of Mercy and their 1987 record Floodland. Why don't we play a cut from the big single? This is this cruise. That is one funky Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it kind of sounds like Dracula combined with like Elvis, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is Andrew Eldritch, who is the lead singer and kind of like creative force behind Sisters of Mercy. This was their second studio album for the Leeds West Yorkshire UK group. They had just split apart after their debut record, and Andrew was kind of left holding the Sisters of Mercy bag here. And after some some mucking about, got this record together. And uh, man, I was I was just very floored by. It. Coming back to this after not hearing it in about 20 years or so, I just thought it sounded so amazing and so exciting and just fresh and, and cool again. Uh, so I was, I was kind of floored and excited to talk about it today. What are your thoughts of this record, Don? Well, the, the three words I chose to describe the album were two chord cool, which I actually stole <laughs> from a Cure lyric. But the, the reason I said that was um, there's at least one song, I, I think the Lu- Lucretia, My Reflection. I'm almost, I'm not a theory guy, but I'm almost positive that song is just two chords. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's just this recurring riff. But what, what I'm amazed about is that it goes on for like eight minutes. And it doesn't just sound like two chords, you know, there's lots of um, added elements through it throughout the song. And I, I think it happens throughout this album. It's like they find a, a theme or, or a particular musical idea and they just kind of exploit it. Um, you know, they get as much out of it uh, as they can, you know, similar to, to jazz, you know, although it's not quite as you know expansive as that. But yeah, um, I knew about the Sisters of Mercy, but they weren't like in the the group of core artists that you know that I listened to. Um, but in recent years, I've actually gone back to the Sisters of Mercy, and yeah, I I really enjoy this album, dude. I've heard of Sisters of Mercy. I haven't listened to them. I knew it was some kind of gothy dark thing. The three words I used to describe it after listening several times. I'm kind of cheating. Rock opera as one word, dark and Dracula. <laughs> brought the Dracula back in <laughs> well the whole Dracula voice thing is kind of what makes it gothic sounding I mean yeah. there's the whole like the choruses and stuff and the organ but that that kind of voice same with uh, you know I, I think of Pete Steele from Typo Negative who used that same sort of oh <laughs> voice uh, Dracula voice to, to push the narrative and make it sound creepier so yeah it was uh, interesting to get into and, and explore yeah, I mean, the three, three words that I used to describe this record were expensive goth robots. <laughs> um, Pray tell. <laughs> Where, what's robots come from? Well, because, I mean, the record is very synth-heavy, and I believe it was composed completely using a sequencer, which I imagine was pretty, I don't know if it was revolutionary, but unique at the time. This came out in 1987. Yeah, I don't think there are any real drums on the on the record. It's all drum machine. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, mean, I think the 
bass guitar is real and obviously the vocals, but I think the rest of it is all kind of studio wizardry. The record was produced by a guy named the name of Larry Alexander and Jim Steinman, who is most well known for his work on a lot of the better selling meatloaf records. You can definitely hear some of that sort of theatrical quality in this music. I think it sounds great though. And even by today's standards, I think it's just sounds so polished. I mean, it's dark and moody and mysterious, but it still sounds big and loud and I don't know, just adventurous to me. Why don't we play a cut from the opening track? This is a little bit from Dominion slash Mother Russia. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes began. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Is that not the right, not the right one? Sorry. Right, let me let me fix that. Hold on. It's out of it. That's good. I remember hearing that song uh, played on the local indie station and being kind of like surprised at the kind of like references to Russia and nuclear war and just, you know, as a U.S. citizen, like I didn't really, you don't hear much about that type of imagery in a lot of modern music. So this felt so distant and foreign to me, even though they're from the UK, it has a very like Europe centric vibe to it, I would say. I, I had also seen something about Chernobyl being the the subject matter to some degree of that song. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The nuclear disaster there. I mean, the quote that I read was that he was kind of wishing the nuclear fallout from Chernobyl would rain down on the United States and kind of like as penance for their sins against Europe. He had some pretty strong political views. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Man. So just stay in Romania there, Dracula. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty, I don't want to say divisive guy, but so, I mean, the band was, was a three piece and they had broke up after their last record. A lot of this record deals with just kind of the leftover feelings of, or beef between him and some of the original members. Um, this corrosion actually is, a, is more or less a diss track against the original lead vocalist of the group and, and his approach to writing lyrics and kind of just like calling out like how childish his lyrics were, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. That would go on to become their most popular song. But there's also some some more kind of intimate, pretty moments on this record. I think the standout for me in that regard would be the middle cut on the record, simply entitled 1959. The wind blows wild again For a little child can never kill this queen Yeah, undead Barry Manilow is what I think of <laughs> when I hear that <laughs> Zombie Barry Manilow It's <laughs> good uh, I, don't, I think that track works really well He and He has a very unique voice, obviously but it's pretty emotive, and I really like the piano on that. I think it's not played live. It's all composed on a sequencer, um, but it has a real emotion to it. It's kind of about like when he was born and kind of, you know, the innocence of, of youth, but then kind of being corrupted by the, the social environment that he was brought up in, I guess, in the, in the 50s and 60s. What do you guys think of these? Like, there's a few like handful of quieter tracks on the record like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like the I, I like the whole record. I think it's I think this album is a good example of how 
electronic sounds and drum machines and sequencers and stuff. It, it doesn't have to be lifeless and, and cold, you know, because I, I think there's parts on this this album that that really rock, you know, even though it's a, a drum machine and, um, you know, and I, I think a, a, a song like that like 1959 you know it still you know can capture uh, emotion um so you know i think this is you know electronic music kind of at its best yeah I, I know i've poked fun at the dracula voice stuff but i did enjoy the album of its time it sounds synthy and poppy but it's much more interesting than a lot of the other bands doing the same thing at that period because of the voice because of the gothic overtones and the the organ sounds and the the you know, hunchback from Notre Dame <laughs> sounding choir chorus stuff, you know, but that's what you picture when you're hearing this. It's dark, it's dank. I liked it. So it is fun to to do the voice, but it, it's cool. It's definitely worth listening to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good one to go back to if you haven't heard it or if you haven't heard it in a while. Uh, they do strike a nice balance between that humanity and technology here. And yeah, I think it's a fun listen, man. They pack a lot of a lot of cool ideas and they have such a unique sound so yeah if you haven't heard uh floodland by sisters of mercy it's uh it's a good one excuse me i'd like to ask you a few questions and now it's time on the show when we ask ourselves a question how did your musical taste change when you were in college very influential time you know college radio all that stuff how did it affect you yeah, I mean, I think my taste changed like probably like almost every year in college, depending on who I was hanging out with, you know, what, what they were listening to. I was definitely into electronic music and DJ music the first couple of years of school, but then that shifted a lot and I got into like punk rock and, you know, indie stuff and experimental stuff and it shifted a lot. So I, I can't imagine where I would be if I didn't have all those college influences. It'd probably be a lot. A lot less diverse musical taste if it wasn't for all my college friends and I guess all the, the college radio and all those cool avenues I had to explore. And the internet. Can't forget the internet was just like really popping off when I was in college in terms of like music sharing and availability it was like spent most of college like burning CDs and ripping music <laughs> off of Napster. So destroying the music industry. Thanks a lot. Yes, I'll take credit for that single handedly. Thank you. <laughs> Done. Uh, well, you know, I, I went to college armed with my college radio classics. So I, you know, I had my Cure CDs and my, uh, Morrissey and the, and the Smiths. And so the people I ended up hanging out with were really into more like classic rock. So they were into Pink Floyd, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Doors, uh, and the Beatles. So they ended up like turning me on to, to those things and broadening my horizons. And I actually, you know, turned them into big Smiths fans, which I was quite proud of. Nice. nice. Yeah, that was kind of the thing at that time. Being the guy or gal to to expose people to something and yep. change their taste. Being a taste maker was part of the college experience. Yeah, you liked uh, exposing yourself to college <laughs> college crowds there, man? Absolutely. As often as I could. It's called streaking, Andy. It's super cool. <laughs> um, uh, what were you listening to, man, in college? 
I was at a commuter college, so my experience was a little different. I was listening to a cassette single by uh, Boys to Men they had done for some soundtrack. I remember listening to it when I was driving to the first day of school, and I started the communications classes. I met these dudes that were all into like Pearl Jam and all that kind of stuff, mm. and started hanging out with them. And it went to within a week, growing out my hair, buying flannels, <laughs> just complete right. turnaround, 100%. Yes. So, yeah, obviously I'm easily influenced <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that has shaped my entire taste to this day. So, yeah, very influential time. I remember one of my buddies had long hair. Not a lot of dudes did that weren't like metalheads. And my dad could never remember his name and just referred to him as the long haired character. <laughs> so, yeah, how about uh, how about you out there? College music. Did your taste change? Tell us your stories albumnerds.com slash discord Donnie Lakey Okay, so the the album uh, I'm bringing to the table is Power, Corruption, and Lies uh, from New Order, which was uh, released in May 1983. New Order are an English band from uh, from Manchester. They were originally known as Joy Division, and uh, of course we did uh, one of their records a, a while back. Joy Division was formed in 1976. Uh, in 1980, Ian Curtis, the, the front man and lyricist, uh, hanged himself, tragically, but the, the remaining uh, members of the band, Bernard Sumner, who's the guitarist and keyboardist, bass guitarist uh, Peter Hook, uh, and drummer Stephen Morris, uh, carried on as New Order. They also recruited um, Morris's uh, girlfriend, Jillian Gilbert, to provide some additional keyboards and guitars. And so this is actually their, their second album. Um, so let's, let's hear a track called 586. The three words I use to describe the album are goodbye, joy division. Uh, you know, this is the their their second album, and it's really where they kind of departed from that joy division sound. the The first album they did and their their early singles were were produced by Martin Hannett, who had done the the joy division records, and they just kind of sound like joy division records without Ian Curtis. So, in, on this album, they're going in more of a an electronic dance direction. What do you guys uh, What do you guys think? What did we think? Let's see. So this. Describe this album in three words. I went with dancey, dark, and meticulous because it's very detailed. There is that darkness that exists still from the Joy Division days, and it's dancey, which kind of hides that darkness a little bit. It's like a less restrained The Cure. Like if The Cure just put their dancing shoes on and said, let's go for it, guys. <laughs> then I think it's, it's a similar sound, but with that, with a, the moroseness is driven back by the beats. <laughs> Andy? Uh, the three words I came up with were pretty synthetic flowers because it, it's, it's kind of, kind of in the way that Sisters of Mercy, we, you know, kind of melded machines and, and, and human sounds. <laughs> Uh, I think they do a nice job of, of melding those two here. I was surprised at how like patient these songs are. And that they really do take their time to develop, especially as you get later into the record. There's some really subtle things going on that I, I didn't appreciate when I had heard this, you know, for the first time probably 20 years ago. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I did end up liking it, I guess, in the end. It kind of turned me around. I wasn't that into it at first, but by the end, I, I guess I was, 
I guess I'm pretty positive on this. Well, good. This kind of set the tone for f- future New Order albums. Um, typically, like half the tracks will be more sort of electronic, dancey oriented, uh, and some of them are more, you know, straight up rock tracks. Um, why don't we play a little bit of one of the more uh, rock tracks, um, Age of Consent. Yeah, I guess that's where I got the cure yeah. part from. <laughs> I could hear him doing this. <laughs> yeah, Robert Smith got his dancing shoes on. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the New Order sound is, I mean, you tend to have, you know, a, a rhythm track that, that is often, you know, sequenced and, you know, from drum machines. And then you have Bernard Sumner's guitar, or they say Bernard, um, his, his guitar, which is, uh, I think underrated. I, I've grown to appreciate it over the years. Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of unique, uh, and not gaudy, but interesting about New Order is the, I mean, it's often the bass guitar that is actually the lead instrument. So an age of consent there, you know, the, I mean, that's all the, the bass guitar. Um, so there's a lot of, um, you know, New Order songs where the, the bass is actually, you know, playing the, the role of the, the lead guitar, um, which I've always found, uh, impressive or interesting. This is one of the, the more electronic tracks, kind of atmospheric. Uh, this is Your Silent Face. That was a track that really sold me on, like, the quieter, more subtle moments on this record. Like, that is really beautiful, in my opinion. It's, like, just a real standout. Chef's kiss for that one. (laughs) Chef's kiss. (laughs) It sounds to me like something that belongs in a movie, The never-ending story or something fantastical Mm -hmm. or legend with Tom Cruise. (laughs) That's a weird one. Uh, on that song, at the beginning, they actually use the, the melodica. Do you guys know what that is? It's like the, it's the electronic instrument that you actually blow into. I don't know. I mean, they used to sell it as a toy yeah. when I was, <laughs> when I was a kid, but it's got little keys on it, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's on there as well. Wasn't that the name of a Madonna album too? Melodica. No, that was erotica. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that's nice. a little different. With New Order in that first year when they were trying to move on, you know, they all took turns, you know, figuring out who was going to be the, the vocalist. Uh, and eventually it ended up uh, being Bernard Sumner. He also took over right in the lyrics. Uh, and he is, he is not Ian Curtis uh, at all. And he's not, uh, he doesn't have the charisma of Ian Curtis. So I think that actually led to maybe a, a greater focus on the music. I really like the song Leave Me Alone. This is my favorite track, I think, on the album. I liked how I don't like instrumentals and I'm like, uh, this is very instrumental. And then there's just enough vocal and it suits the song because there is so much alone time with the music. I thought it was great. Yeah, definitely. It feels like, I mean, I don't tell me if I'm wrong, Don, but it feels like they definitely wrote the music first and then added in the vocals to, to complement the, the music as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, that's, that's my feeling as well. I guess one thing I've grown to appreciate about New Order is I think the endings of songs are always great. You know, they, I think they all kind of build. Uh, I mean, I guess they're, they're somewhat simple musically, but they're always adding more and more layers. It's almost like they're, at times, it's like they're a jam band, like an electronic jam band. And they, I don't know, 
That's probably an overstatement. Sit around a fire with some melodicas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but they always add a little bit extra at, at the end. Even that, that song, Leave Me Alone, there's a, a you know, some really interesting guitar parts uh at, at the end. And so and that goes on uh, you know, throughout the, the career of uh, of New Order. Uh, I just have one beef where I feel like there's more joy in this music, so I think the band name Joy Division would work better for this band. <laughs> then that's true yeah, yeah they were <laughs> you know? pretty dark before yeah i mean i get new order but new order like their previous band was kind of the new order of, of hmm. like punk influenced music right and good point it, i mean it is what it is they'd already used the name but i get the new name but i think sonically the name doesn't quite match as well as as joy division yeah and it, i mean actually the name joy division like where, where it comes from is actually quite dark and I suppose we don't have to get into it. Uh, but it, but it goes, no, please. Yeah, it, no, it goes back to no mas, no mas. <laughs> what, it, what does it go back to? So it actually goes back to like the, the Holocaust. Um, so I think the, the joy divisions were, Oh, here we go. I think they would set aside like Jewish females that would provide, you know, joy to the German. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't. I say no yeah. moss. So we've, we've covered the Holocaust and nuclear war in this episode so far. Andy, you done effed up there, my man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was Power, Corruption, and Lies from New Order. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Want to make sure everyone knows how great your musical taste is, too? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord, to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest topics for the show, and get a sneak peek at what we're working on next. Hey, all you kids out there. Welcome to Three Feet High and Rising. Now, here's what we do. I am jumping in with De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. From March of 1989, uh, I would call this sort of, I don't know if you guys agree, hip-hop soul, maybe progressive hip-hop? Hmm. Progressive hip-hop. You could sell me on that. Prog hop. Prog hop. There you go. <laughs> uh, do the prog hop. All right. Um, That's good. So I would I would say that this fits in with the college radio sound as I did hear it on college radio to start. Um, I heard the magic number, as a matter of fact, which is the song we'll be listening to, but definitely is different alternative to what was going on in the hip hop scene at the time. So let's jump in to the magic number. What does it all mean? Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates... That's the opening track, and it's uh, kind of describing the three main members of the of the group and how the magic number comes from uh, their existence together. So that would be Posthumous. I'm not sure how to say that. Plug one. True Goy, the Dove, Plug 2, and Masio or Mace, Plug 3. So those plugs were from the, the board they were using, and they each had a mic plug. So they nicknamed each other Plug 1, Plug 2, and Plug 3. Now uh, it all makes sense. So my three words to describe this album, progressive, hip-hop, collage, not college, collage, because of all... So much sampling. So many songs have like eight or nine things sampled together to make one beat. It's incredible. 
the work that they did here. Uh, produced by De La Soul and Prince Paul. Fellas, thoughts? Listen to this before, super familiar, slightly familiar. What's the deal? Yeah, my three words were De La Dandruff. <laughs> what? <laughs> because... Uh, Explain yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love this record. I have it on vinyl. I listen to it a lot uh, over the last... You know, 20 years or so. I kept getting caught up on the skits though, man. I don't know if the skits, I don't know if I love the skits as much as I used to. But I think the the meat of the record is awesome. And there's a lot of hip hop classics or, you know, just standout tracks on here that, you know, like Magic Number that you played uh, that still sound awesome. And really just hard to, hard to match in this era in hip hop. So Donald? So the the three words I chose are from Don's soul. I guess I'm overstating it a bit, but I mean I think this is a this is a hip hop record that that I really you know can connect with, and you know I, I appreciate other stuff we've we've listened to on, on this show like uh, you know Wu Tang and and Run DMC, but all that stuff is just like so aggressive. You know, they're singing about how great they are at rhyming, how great they are at, at sex, at fighting, um, at everything. And, and this, I don't know, this is about other stuff. It feels somewhat intellectual, but at the same time, silly. I don't know. And it just has maybe a more chill vibe that, that, that appeals to, you know, to my sensibilities. And I, I also, I just appreciate the, the innovative use of, of sampling, you know, like a, a lot of hip hop records, the reason they're good is just because they're sampling a, a hook that was good before, you know, and they don't do that here. I mean, they, they sample things that I recognize, but they don't exploit it. You know, they really uh, find a, a new use for it. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, this is quite an album. Yeah. Uh, was it 24 tracks? Yep. Lots of, lots of short songs gets, you know, this sort of theme of a game show theme throughout with some goofy jokes and stuff. Uh, the magic number, obviously, multiplication rock from Schoolhouse Rock. That's the the main sampling. Uh, I guess they also use Double D and Steinsky's Lesson 3 for the drums. So some record with drum lessons on it. As I mentioned, it's a bond of the three of them together. Why don't we jump into another song that really goes for it with the samples? It's called Say No Go. And it includes samples from Hollow Notes, Sly Stone, the Detroit Emeralds, the Emotions, Funky Four Plus One, the Turtles, and Walter Schumann with some of the Dragnet theme from the TV show. So here we go. I can't fit all that in one clip, so I had to say all Let's check it out. So that song is uh, a cautionary tale about the use of drugs, particularly uh, particularly base or crack cocaine that was an uh, epidemic in uh, urban communities at that time. What would you guys think of that one? I mean, you can't go wrong with Hollow Notes. I know Andy's a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, it's a cool take on the slogan that I think Nancy Reagan had come up with, right? It was like, say no and and, and go. And I think they even mentioned Nancy uh, in the lyrics. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's cool. And I mean... <sighs> I think often anti-drug songs are kind of lame, but this, you know, I I think they do this well. Yeah, they're pretty sneaky about getting some uh, positive messages into this record without having it sound like a PSA or something or Nancy Reagan just, you know, talking about shit she doesn't know about. 
Very good. I mean, it's it's interesting to me, like how this and reading back about this record, you know, it was, it was really viewed as like, you know, this is, could be like the new era in hip hop, be this, you know, positivity and kind of goofy persona and not so self-serious. And there were groups in this period, you know, like Tribe Called Quest and others who were in that vein, but it never really took off from here. I know. It's kind of a problem. I know. I know. Yeah, it went in a different direction, a little bit more raw truth instead of, you know, creatively described things. It was, we get people get killed every day type stuff in the hip hop that became popular shortly after this and kind of then drove where hip hop went uh, in the mainstream anyway. Yeah, I heard the first time I heard this was in the library at my high school in 1989. My friend Mike had every album there ever was he was a jazz drummer and he was just into everything and he uh, made a copy of this on one of those cassettes the clear ones with the <laughs> with the like uh green and, and pink triangles and stuff yep. on it and i was just my mind was blown by this this was like nothing i'd ever heard and at the time i was uh loosely into hip-hop like bismarcky and cool modi and that kind of stuff and i listened to this so many times the skits drew me in the weird music and samples. I just couldn't get enough of it. Why don't we listen to a little bit of the song that I remember the most impacting me at the time was Potholes in My Lawn. Potholes in my lawn. I found that it's not wise to leave my garden untended because I has not, not a lot of yodeling in hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> they did it well. Yeah, corner on that market, I think. Yeah, I, uh, that one again had a bunch of weird samples and uh, from the Magic Mountain by Eric Burden and War, yodeling and jaw harp from Parliament's Little Old Country Boy, the mouth harp parts, those boing things, it just like it was playful all the way through. Want to talk about the samples a little bit? I, I mean, it's a big part of the record, obviously, and it's a lot of the personality of the record. But unfortunately, it's not available to stream anywhere. It's not accessible. Right. Um, probably. I'm guessing because of those samples. Yeah, that was frustrating. Yeah, they've gone back and forth. They keep making announcements that it's coming. I guess a few years ago, like on their 30th anniversary, they put all of their albums for free download on their website. How oh, cool. That's not available anymore, unfortunately. But uh, eventually they got, they'll got. they have to figure it out uh, for the streaming because uh, the, the youths need to hear this stuff. It's such a big part of hip-hop history. It's It's a shame not to have it widely available i want the youngins to hear it so that maybe this can influence hip-hop moving forward because i i really think we need a little bit of this ingenuity and creativity in our uh in our hip-hop agreed don you got anything else i guess this more is more of a question what's the what's what's the reference to to daisy i think they mentioned that a, a, a couple a couple of times isn't it like an acronym for yeah it's it's the inner sound y'all Okay, that sounds kind of deep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because it was this 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 was coming from their souls, and they were like as one and all that kind of stuff. But I think with them, they they got these little inside jokes and inside references that they used throughout. I mean, like the plug one, plug two stuff, the Daisy stuff. Jennifer keeps coming <laughs> up in different songs. That was one of my favorites when I was a youth as well. Jennifer O'Jenny. 
Like I thought <laughs> I, for certain that was just hypnotic to me. But what's, uh, what's up with that De La Orgy track or whatever it was? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the moments that occasionally I think they're just goofing around making sex sounds. <laughs> and I think they said it was De La Orgy when oh, yeah. they <laughs> on the track. <laughs> yeah. So they were having fun. I don't. I don't think it was really uh, recordings of actual intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> or outer course. It did sound like they were having a good time making this. I mean, all the, the game show sketches are just like so goofy. It's almost like a little cringy to listen to, but it is still like just really goofball humor. I don't know how else to describe it. I think why it connected with me so much was I grew up listening to, uh, my dad had Big Bamboo by Cheech and Chong record, and there was a skit on there, Let's Make a Dope Deal. Where it was a game show of these oh, yeah. these burnouts trying to make trying to make dope deals, <laughs> so I think because I just the humor of the game show skits I think hit with me just because I knew it was supposed to be funny, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many kids were uh, sending their entries into that address in New York City that they give at the end of the record. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I've got I've got the proof of purchases in my. Uh, in the CD that I have, so I, I should send those in. Yeah, just see if it's still valid, man. Uh, I know we gotta we gotta get going here, but Cool Breeze on the Rocks used all these samples. It's not a full song; it's just tons of samples of rock being said from oh, yeah. uh, Run, Run DMC, Michael Jackson. I mean, there's just rock, rock, rock with you, like just tons of it. It's just fun to listen to. Uh, like I mentioned, Jennifer taught me. Ghetto thing kind of gets into the knit and grit of what's going on out there. I know, uh, and of course, me, myself, and I the big hit off of it. But there's so many tracks, it's hard to get to all of it in this show. We would need a couple of hours. So please, if you have any inkling for some fun, insightful, meaningful, but not hip-hop all at the same time, go check out De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. All right, boys and girls, uh, put your chairs in a circle and let's, let's talk about what we learned today. College radio seems like, a, at least for the three of us, pretty influential, pretty important in our shaping our, our malleable music minds. What do you guys think about the future of college radio? Do you think uh, there is a future for, I guess, terrestrial radio or uh, have podcasts just and streaming just destroyed that landscape completely. Thoughts? Yeah, well, well, I hope so. I, I'm the faculty advisor for my uh, my college's uh, radio station, although it's just a web-based radio station, so it is technically streaming. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still hope that there's a future for it. I, I don't think you're going to recapture what it was in, in the 80s, um, you know, just because I, I think there's other ways for, for people to be exposed to um, kind of underground music. Yeah, Don, I think that the streaming radio stations are probably the only way that college radio will continue. Yeah, I think that magic of accidental discovery exists more in the streaming services and stuff these days. Uh, I think colleges and college radio stations, they probably do this, would be smart to provide playlists and things on Spotify, tie it into their shows and try and push uh, as much influence as possible because it's a little harder than when you had an antenna that was broadcasting your station. Someone accidentally finds it on their car yeah. radio. So Yeah, there was something magical about that kind of randomness or the happenstance of, you know, scrolling through the dial and coming across something you love. Yeah, we've kind of lost that 
local flavor of radio. But yeah, but what uh, what radio stuff do you guys listen to? Uh, are there any good streaming stations that you'd recommend? Uh, Shoot a note in the Albner Discord. Be curious to hear. And that's one to grow on. <laughs> All right, it's time for the part of the show where we uh, see what Destiny has in store for us. I was going to say, is that her name, Destiny? Did we, oh, there you go. I'm giving her a stripper <laughs> name. I like it. <laughs> oh, God. See, that, that. I can't believe she takes this abuse. <laughs> you know, guys, I got some, some bad news here. Actually, I got a letter this morning from her lawyer. She's lawyering <laughs> up. I don't know. <laughs> This is probably not good for the show. I don't know if our if our budget can uh, withstand the lawyer fees here, but she has some demands. She's looking to uh, get some increased benefits here, so we'll see what see what she has to say here. Andy, you sir are a wanker. <laughs> I, however, am a consummate professional and will provide a musical destiny. Your destiny is 1960s country music albums. <laughs> um, 1960s country. Interesting. There's going to be three Johnny Cash albums picked, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, so take some research. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite country album from the, the 1960s? Do you remember the heyday of college radio? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you once again for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We will catch you next time with some 1960 these country albums see you then keep it wheel <laughs> oh god get it because we use the wheel the wheel of oh, yes. I very get it. clever very good don <laughs> you're well <welcome>. duty likey <laughs> <laughs> right.